Recovery Greenhouse is a podcast dedicated to the growth of ideas, concepts, and outlook to support recovery and recovery community. I'm Gerald Watt, your host and a person in long-term recovery. I'm also founder and executive director of Sauk Valley Voices of Recovery, a recovery community organization serving Northwest Illinois. I'm a certified recovery support specialist, an entrepreneur, and a father. And after a long list of careers, I found my calling in helping others find recovery. I work with many, many people and several addiction-related advisory boards every day, and my core belief is that people must make an effort to change their lives for recovery. Saying no pain, no gain is exactly correct. A person cannot experience significant life changes without enduring, accepting, and often welcoming discomfort. It isn't the change that hurts, it's our resistance to it. Today, my guest is uh, somebody who works with me on a daily basis and has become one of my uh, closest friends. Uh, Robert Bates is a uh, peer mentor for Salt Valley Voices of Recovery and a peer mentor with a specialty. Robert works with people uh, primarily uh, that have what we call legal entanglements, meaning they've been to jail, been to prison, they're on probation, they're awaiting uh, adjudication. They somehow have some kind of uh, connection to the legal uh, system. Uh, Robert comes with a huge amount of uh, experience, not only in uh, recovery, but also in the church. And uh, not only does he uh, counsel them, but a lot of times he counsels me. We we play basketball uh, just about every morning, and a lot of times I do uh, less basketball playing and more talking. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably a good thing. But uh, how's it going today, man? Pretty good, Gerald. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this with us. <laughs> no doubt, brother. Yeah. So, uh you know, let, let's start with why do you do what you do? You know, why, why do you want to work with people in recovery? Well, one of the things is is because I truly care, man. Okay. You know, and uh, um, I feel like this is a calling on my life. Okay. Okay, explain. And so, um, and what I mean by a calling on my life, I have been involved with the penitentiary and everything and spent time there. You know, and I remember being in prison, man, and uh, there was a prison guard that told me, you know, that really bothered me, man, that when I was again being released, that I would be back. Right, right. You know? Right, right. <laughs> and I told that guy, man, I didn't tell him, you know, what I said to him, well, I, I won't be back, uh-huh. you know. But he thought I was just one of the statistics, man, where you're going to return. So, so do you think that every prison hires a guy to just sit by the door and tell people you'll be back? Because I hear that for everybody that left. One of the guards told them. What, what it, one guy said that the guard told them to keep the lights on like Motel 6. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? And I believe that they do hire people you know saying, to actually say that. I think they have a manual. <laughs> <laughs> My snotty things to say. <laughs> right. That right. you were coming back, you right. know, and that bothered me because when I got released for the last time, because I had gone to prison three times, okay. but for the last time when I was released from prison, man, I really made up my mind that I was done with prison. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. There was a time that when I first went to prison that I thought, okay, this is fun and games because I was a young man, you know what I'm saying, I didn't get that much time the first mm-hmm. time. One to three years, I can do that standing on my head and get out. 
But as you get older, mm-hmm. you know, and you realize that the guys that you in prison with is not really, you understand, your homies, your buddies, and all these different things. These just people you'd have made acquaintance with since you've been in prison. Right. And the thing is that they, they become your family. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're the family that don't support you. Right. They're going to teach you the wrong Wrong thing. thing. So right. everything that you're swapping lies about is how big your crime was or what you did when you was out and how much drugs you sold and all this kind of stuff. And the last time I was there, Gerald, I just remember sitting on the side of the bunk, man, and I had looked at the, in the dormitory that I was in, and I looked at all the prisoners there, man, and there was a distaste in my mouth and in my heart about that situation because I realized I was alone. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I wasn't receiving any mail. I had ruined my relationship on the street with my family, with the girl that I'd gone with, and I just hated my life okay. and where I was at. So how many years has that been since that day? It's been 40 years ago okay. since I've been in prison. And the thing is, um, I knew that when I got out, I really had to change the lifestyle I was living. So let me take a step back and explain so we can have clarity in how I got there, okay? Um, I was 14 years old when I left my mom's house. And I was a young man that hated authority. At least I didn't understand that that was God's design for this world. But everything I tried to come out from up under, I was put back up under. So whether I went to school, there was someone in authority over me. Mm-hmm. Rather I went to work, there was someone in authority over me. Rather I lived in my mom's house, there was someone over authority of me. When I came out and started committing crimes, using drugs and everything else, there was someone in authority over me. Even the drug man was in authority over me because if he didn't sell me the drugs, I couldn't buy drugs. Right. You know? And so that was one of the realizations that I came to the last time I was in prison, man, is that I need to stop trying to get out from up under what's designed for this world. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have no idea what that was. I didn't understand the God situation or anything, because I didn't get saved in prison. Okay. I got saved when I got out of prison, you know. And so that's where I was at, man. So then, you, 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 you know, you bring up a couple really interesting points. The, um, the hierarchy of the streets, right? Mm-hmm. There's always, somebody's always a the boss. There's always, right. every, every boss got a boss. Absolutely. And, and if you don't like being the low man on the totem pole, uh-oh, the boss calling. <laughs> if you don't like being the low man on the totem pole, um, there's only so many things you can do, right? You can you can take drugs to try to numb it. Right. Right? You can try to, you know, launch a, a revolution, try to overthrow somebody. Right. But eventually you got to just kind of, you know, take your place and in the pecking order. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we don't like to do that. And, and um, 
don't know. I don't know why I went down that tangent. Other than it, it's it's just interesting to me because now, forty years later, there is no boss to Robert. You you've done. You, you know, it, it was like you you tried to go to Slickway, mm-hmm. and you found everything you hated. You go to Squareway, mm-hmm. get married, move to a small town, find the church, get your life together, mm-hmm. and you find the freedom that you was looking for. Right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, and the, one of the things is, is um, by me being in this little small town, it helped me to appreciate it. Okay. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I was used to the fast life, the drugs, the money, the gambling, the, the whole nine yards, man. Mm-hmm. You know, but I when I came here, I felt like the Lord brought me here and settled me into this little town that I actually still to this day have a problem with. And the problem is that's a dark place. And what I mean by that is that when you go from one end of town to the other end of town and you go into the dark, you know, and there's no street lights. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Right, you go you. into the dark. Right. You know, there's no street lights and different things, so I'm used to the street lights. Mm-hmm. And so even 40 years later, that bothers me. You know, because, again, let me step back. When I was about seven years old, I remember the older gentleman that lived in the building with us tried to strangle me, to say. Mm-hmm. You know? And I was a kid that was afraid of the dark. Mm-hmm. And I would never want to go down our hallway because it was always dark down that hallway, man, you know. And mm-hmm. I would stay up until one of my sisters or brothers went down the hallway with me. And this guy, I was so afraid of him until he lived down the hall from us. But when I was a kid growing up, Gerald, you understand, it was a kid was to be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. So when this guy tried to strangle me, I went to my mom, and I was afraid to tell her because he was her friend. Mm-hmm. That here's the person that's supposed to protect me. That I'm afraid to tell that this guy have done something to me. And so my mom drank a lot of Miller's beer at the time, and I remember being probably about seven or eight years old, man, crawling up under her chair, chair, and drinking out of her glass some of this beer mm-hmm. and I remembered that that beer that I took a couple swigs of that gave me false courage I was no longer afraid of the dark I was still afraid of that guy but I was no longer afraid of the dark you know mm-hmm. yeah look yeah. courage mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> you know it's it's that false courage that you get when you have this mind-altering chemicals right and different things and so that's where I can remember when I first started using mind-altering chemicals was that beer. And then I went on from there, you know, as a teenager, going to house parties, smoking weed, and weed led to drinking alcohol, and then that led to heroin habit, you understand, for over 30 years, man. Wow. My, my guest is Robert Bates, a uh, peer mentor with Salt Valley Voices of Recovery. So, so here you are, forty years later, 
um, we're playing ball, and this is about. Do you, do you realize it's been five years since I started this thing, man? Somebody brought that to my attention the other day because it was October of 2019 mm. when I and and I know that I, I at first started talking to you and been like, man, I'm thinking about doing this thing. Right. <laughs> right. And so, thank you for all your support over the years, man. But um, but uh, so you, you get involved and you say, well, I'd be willing to volunteer to you know come and talk to some people from time to time, and mm-hmm. and uh, we started when we were over in. Sterling, and you would meet with people, and from from the start, people were just responding to you, man. They, mm-hmm. You know, and I guess it, it it was interesting to me because you 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 often give off like a fatherly character, mm-hmm. you, you you know what I mean? Right. Like you come right. off as dad, mm-hmm. and so many of these people needed that. Maybe they didn't have it when they were children, or or maybe they just they needed that that presence, that that role in their life filled, and and um. Well, you know, Gerald. Also, one of the other things, brother, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but, no, but go ahead. The other things is that from over the years of talking with you, you know, I realized that you was a pretty fortunate brother that came out of the city, mm-hmm. you know, because you had a mom. But for me, I never had an opportunity to meet my dad. Okay. I didn't know you that. Know? Yeah. yeah. Never had an opportunity to meet the man. If he walked in there right now, I wouldn't even know who he is. And whatever happened between him and my mom, she didn't never really want to talk to the, talk to me about this man. So I figured it must have been something really bad. But why this guy didn't want nothing to do with me, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't alone in that. Because in the neighborhood where I lived at, in Chicago, man, uh, there was very few young men and women that had fathers in their homes, mm-hmm. you know? And so that became like a norm to me. So when a guy had a father in the house, it's like, what's wrong with him? Why he there? <laughs> he got left. <laughs> All the fathers left and he got stuck. <laughs> So, yeah. so then where do you think you learned how to relate to people in that way if you didn't have an example? Well, I know what I wanted in my life. And that's where that came from, is because I desired to have my father in my life, and I never did, but I always portrayed what I wanted. Okay. And so that's how I come off as this big brother, father to people's man. Because I know what I wanted and what would have probably helped me. You know, I, I can't sit here and say what the past would have been like. Right. But I do appreciate what the future is. You know? So, you know, it, it's funny because we've had guys that liken themselves to be gangsters and mm-hmm. and guys that, you know, sex offenders and all different people vastly different walks of life, all searching for some kind of recovery. And in this case, we don't mean recovery of not using drugs. We mean recovery of mind, body, and spirit. Right. Because right. what you do is somewhat faith-based. You, mm-hmm. you do talk about God in this. But these are people that are coming, and I see how they come 
to rely upon you, how they come to call me and tell me, I like Robert because he don't sugarcoat it. Um, or, you know, the fact that, that they will reach out to you when they're struggling or something. Um, why do you think that works? Okay, the reason why that works, Gerald, again, my opinion, I remember being in the joint, man, and there was two older guys, one of them by the name of Hank, you know, never would sugarcoat anything with me. He would just tell me straightforward. And I got to the point where I love the truth coming from this man. Okay. And he used to tell me, young blood, you know, I'm here for the rest of my life. You don't have to be here for the rest of your life. You know, you need to take heed to what I'm saying now to you, you know. And so, Gerald, that just became a thing, man, that if you're going to be up front with me, be up front with me. Wow. And I can take that. You know, it might hurt my feelings, but I usually put them in my watch pocket, you understand, because I'm a person that want to learn, man. Okay. Each and every day. You know, I can even learn from a baby. Okay. So that's why I feel like that's where that came from, or where that comes from. But but you know? then why do you think that those people, you know, we're talking some hard-headed people, man. Right. I, come on, I know who we're talking about, mm -hmm. and... These are guys that will continually walk back into the fire, but for some reason they respond to what you're doing. Well, the only thing I can say about that, brother, you know, as I said earlier, this is a calling on my life, and God prepare people to hear what you have to say. Okay. I truly believe that, you know, and this is what certain people need at times to be straightforward with, to tell them, you know, what they need to do and what direction to go in. And there are some people, you understand, you know, that you kind of be kind of be a little soft with them. You got to be able to um, assess your personnel, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You follow what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And so when you do that, then you know how to relate to certain guys, man. So originally, like I said, you came to work with us and... and mm -hmm. People have asked why we call it the Blue Group. Right. Right. So there was this big calendar, a dry erase calendar in our office, and we were all trying to use the same room. Mm -hmm. And so we had to put on the calendar a schedule of what group was going to be in this room. And we didn't want to put <laughs> convict group <laughs> on, on the calendar. Yeah. So we just put Robert group, but the pen we used was blue. Blue, right. Therefore, it became <laughs> Blue Group. Blue group. Yeah. But you have Blue Group that you meet with people at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Dixon mm -hmm. uh, Wednesday and Thursday morning. Wednesday and Thursday morning. And That's then by appointment as well. Right. And then you've got the juvenile probation program yep. that you Tuesday do. Tuesday and Thursday. Tuesdays and Thursdays yes. in the afternoon. Right. And then you go into the Lee County Jail on Tuesday night. Right. And so as you're meeting all these different people, I mean, you meet, oh, and then you got family group on Wednesday right, night. Wednesday night, right. So you're meeting people with recovery issues mm -hmm. during the day. You're meeting teens that are in on probation and, and need help right. in the afternoon. You're meeting people that are actually in jail in the evening. And you're also meeting parents of people that are trying to deal with their child or their family members' right. issues. 
and all of them are finding value. It, it, it's, it's amazing. Again, guest Robert Bates, peer mentor, Salt Valley Voices of Recovery. That, that's, a, that's astonishing, man. It's, it's whatever you're doing, you're just touching people in, in so many various places in their life. You know, I would like to take credit for it, Gerald, but it's what God is doing through me. Okay. You know, again, I have to give him the glory and the credit for it, man, because I'm really not that smart. You know, I'm not that uh, emotional with people and everything else, but it's what God is doing through me that's penetrating their hearts and their minds. And so that's why I find the success in that. It. So you, you, you... You you know, we talked about the fact that you've been in a penitentiary, but yes. you worked at uh, a major company in, in a factory for a lot of years. You were a supervisor there. Mm-hmm. You've been married for many, many years. 38. You've been sober for how many years? 36. 36. Um, you got beautiful grandchildren, and, you know, at 73 yes. years old, you're out there running the court every day. I mean... Again, that's another one of those blessings. You 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 live in a a, a tremendously uh, impactful and, and and beautiful life. Thank you. And and to turn around and and spend your evenings sitting in the jail with people. I mean, what are the, what are the guys in the jail talking about? Well, it's not so much as what they're talking about as I'm talking about with them. Okay. And. I try to explain to them about not continuing to make this a revolving door because like I went there three times to wake up. You don't have to go through this three times, you know, but it would be very disappointing that you sit here in a controlled environment and you listen to my voice and you don't have no problems with sitting there listening to me, but you get out. And you forget everything we talked about. That's, that's what uh, you know? Rosetta Taylor was talking about. They leave God at the, in jail. Right. God been in jail for a total. That's right. Take the handcuffs <laughs> off. <laughs> Everybody find God in jail, and then yeah. they leave him. They leave him right there. Right. So, you know, what what what's going to make a difference for a guy? I mean, there was a, a young man that that I, I met that. Um, was smoking crack at like a big festival mm-hmm. and in one of those vape things. And I was like, so were you blowing the smoke into just in, in the crowd? He, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so that, that indicates to me he just don't care about right. nothing, right? He, he, he don't have no, my health, your health, the baby's health, none mm-hmm. of it matters to him. How does that guy running through life just doing his thing with no care for the world turn it around and become a member of society? You know, I uh, wish I could explain that because it's, it's varying with different people, man. How some people respond to you and comes out. In fact, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. There was a guy that I met in Lee, not Lee County. Whiteside County Jail. And I, this man didn't have no family or anything else, and so I became his family. And not only did I go and see him in the Whiteside County Jail, but I 
also promised him that I would go through a penitentiary with him, writing him letters, talking with him on the phone and everything else. And this man came out after doing a two-year bit in the joint and came out and I helped him, got established in an apartment and everything else. And right after, he shortly after, I should say, he got out, he lost his apartment. So I helped him get him put up in a motel because I'm, I'm trying to stick with this guy, you know, mm -hmm. and get him put up in a motel. And he messed that up, you know, and now he's back in jail. Mm. And he called me. Okay. And it would be easy for me to say, you know, I'm done with this. Right. But Gerald, the heart that I have for people's man is that what if God had left me where I was at? Understood. You see what I'm saying? And so I can't leave people where they're at, man. I just got to keep reaching out. You know, someday, hopefully, they'll get it, man. You know, another way of putting this is I try to be a friend to people. The best friend I can be, not buying their friendship and different things like that, but the best friend I can be to them because I never had a best friend. Mm -hmm. I get you. You know what I'm saying? And so if in order for you to have good friends, you got to be a good friend. Mm -hmm. but, 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 I mean, when you talk about being a friend, yeah. everybody ain't your friend. No, they're not. You know? No, and, not. and so I... And, and for those out there listening, you know, Robert probably writes, handwrites letters to a dozen guys in, yes. pri in prison. Yes. And they write back and back and forth and back and forth. And I remember him telling me that was because he remembered how it felt not to get mail in, in prison and some other reasons. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's easier to, to, to email. Right. So now sit down. Or or get on the phone and call. Write me a letter. Um but that's a that's a huge undertaking, and it, it's one thing to 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 say I'm gonna be your friend. It's another thing to do it right. with no expectation, because right. most of those guys when they get out, they they done writing. There you go. There you go. <laughs> the last letter was I think I'm getting out soon. But the thing is, I can't let that discourage me. Okay. You know. Okay. Because. When you reach one, you teach one. Okay. And that's what I just continue to keep trying to do, to teach one, man, that you can always reach back and get another one. You know, it's kind of like a domino effect. You hit the first domino, all of another fall down, hopefully. You know, unless one is out of place and then it don't fall in the right direction. Right. So how but, do you how do you justify Or where do you place recovery from substance use, so drugs and alcohol, in this whole mix? Where does where does that fit? I mean, can I go through the criminal justice system, you know, generally get there because I have a drug problem, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I either did something to steal some drugs or I did something because I was high, like hit somebody, mm -hmm. or I was driving drunk or whatever, Um can I go through the system, come out, turn my life around, and still use drugs and alcohol? 
Yeah, I say that again. Can I go through right the system and come out and make that change that you're talking about yeah. in my life and still use drugs and alcohol? No. Okay. Why not? Explain. Because you can't. It's hard to explain that, Gerald. Okay. What I'm saying, okay. For as uh, um, again, let me let me speak about me. You know, because I was trying to think of some other situation, but let me speak about me. I know when I came home that when I got out of the joint, man, I just remember telling my wife that I was going to party for that weekend and I was done. But I came home and I partied for 18 months. And I put myself in treatment. Okay. You know, because my wife had a problem with me, you understand? I figured if I go to treatment, I could fix her, and I can come back out. <laughs> <laughs> and I figure I can come back out and start drinking and drugging again. You right, right, you know? right. But while in treatment, I found there was three major things wrong with me that I wasn't aware of. One, I had hypnotitis C that I got used from using dirty needles and everything mm-hmm. else. Two, I'm not sure if you know what lupus is, mm-hmm. but I had lupus, you understand? It's discard lupus, which discolor your skin, but if you get into your internal organs, it can be deadly. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was, in them 18 months, after spending eight years in jail, after 18 months, I had drank so much until I had cirrhosis of the liver. Mm. Mm. And so when this doctorate had explained to me, he said, I got three things to tell you. And all three of them will kill you. Okay. And so when he told me that, he got my attention. Up to that point, no matter what somebody said, it never got my attention. But he got my attention then because I didn't want to die. Even though I was on a suicide mission shooting heroin every day. But I never thought about ODing. Because I always thought, you understand, hey, I can overcome this here. And so that's that was really changed my thinking. Was those three things that I found out. We're gonna take a break here for a second. Um, my guest is Robert Bates, peer mentor with Salt Valley Voices of Recovery. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Hey everybody, this episode of The Recovery Greenhouse is sponsored by Mama Samino's, an Italian-American restaurant located at 104 South Peoria Avenue in Dixon, Illinois. Believe me, Mama Samino's has your lunch and dinner covered. Enjoy Italian favorites like pizza, spaghetti, ravioli, and more. Mama Samino's is meant you it also includes gluten-free pizza, pasta, and chicken strips. They have a lunch buffet available Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. for just $6.99. $6.99. To make it as easy as possible for you to get your favorite meal, you can have them deliver your order, join them for dining, or you can pick it up. You need space for a private event? Look no further. Call them today to reserve their event ballroom. Mama Samino's opens at 11 a.m. Monday through Sunday. Come visit Mama Samino's. No one cooks like Mama. 104 South Peoria Avenue in Dixon, Illinois. 
All right, we're back. We're back. Uh, back with Robert Bates. So we were just talking about when the doctor spoke to you about that and, and woke you up. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to I want to switch gears for this last kind of segment. Okay, let's talk about family growth. Mm. Right. Um, what has mesmerized me with that group is when somebody would first come in and, and let's say they got a, a, a child named Jamie who's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And you say, hey, Sarah, how's uh, Jamie? Not, how's, hey, Sarah, how you doing? And she, well, you know, Jamie had a good day today. Or, you know, Jamie's killing me. You know, it's always in relation to the kid, to the Jamie, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she comes to your group for a few months and they do whatever magic you all do. And I come back and I say, hey, sir, how you doing? She said, well, I just got back from Bermuda. Mm-hmm. Well, how's Jamie? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. I'm like, all right. Right? You know, because so many of those parents come and they want to know, how do I stop my child from doing what he's doing without realizing that you're enabling them is allowing them right to do what they do. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I just I, it fascinates me, brother, that what happens in that. I mean, speak to me about family grouping. You're, well, you know, that's one of the other things is I base a lot of that off of my own mom, and my mom didn't really want to be on the same side of the street with me because I had brought so much shame down on our name and everything else. And uh, so when I see other moms that's having a problem with their kids, the thing is, I speak to them about, you know, my mom got herself healthy. She stopped worrying about me. Mm. But she started praying for me. Okay. And she got herself healthy because I was causing her to have a bunch of sleepless nights. I was having, bringing all kind of stress into her life that was causing her illness, heart issues and everything else. And so she decided, you know, I got to get me healthy first. I got to stop worrying about this boy because he ain't even thinking about me. And these are things that my mom said. And so all I do is repeat to people that what I've heard my mom say. And I tell these moms, you understand, you know, Sometimes you have to show your child tough love, even though you might not want to show them tough love. But you can't put them up in a hotel room. You can't go and buy all their food. You can't pay their rent. You can't buy their clothes. Like if they they was babies. Right. Right. They made this bed hard. Let them sleep in it. I lived seven years, girl. Homeless. Sleeping in abandoned buildings and cars Mm -hmm. and stuff. But I go from being homeless, man, to owning a home. Mm-hmm. Because I came to my senses. Right. It, 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 it's just, isn't it amazing what God can do? Absolutely. You know, and, Absolutely. and we, 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 we see parents trying to take that position of God, right? Yes. They, Absolutely. They're going to solve you this said, problem. You, you said the exact word, brother. Right? They become small gods. Right. Right, and, and if, if you're going to be my small God, I'm going to lean on you. Mm-hmm. I pray you buy me a Mustang. <laughs> I pray but you. That's one of the things is God 
takes his hand off the situation when small gods get in the way because he said you will have no God before me. Okay, okay. And so while you're doing you, I'm going to remove myself from this because you ain't talking to me about what you're going through. But the moment you realize you can't do it, and then you come to me sincerely and ask me to do it, then like watch me do what I do. In, in, in measure. You know what I'm saying? So there was a family that had a son that was just going in and out and in and out and in and out and of, you know, hospital after hospital after jail after this. And this family just could not release. Mm-hmm. And I saw them just, just, just super, super tight with anxiety and husband and wife fighting and it's just the whole thing is in chaos and I, I I I backed away for a little while to focus on something else and I came back and they just look so happy mm-hmm. you know and they just look like you know I said, how y'all do oh we just got back from you know Mexico yeah. or whatever it's like you know oh yeah, yeah. I said how's your, how's your son oh he's in prison <laughs> Right. Like, I was right. like, what? And they're like, well, you know, at least we know where he's yeah. at. Right. You know, yeah. at least we know where he's at. And, you know, somebody will call if something happens to him, but we don't have to worry about him creeping in our house. We don't have to worry about him, you know, running somebody over. We don't have to worry. So what they had tried to save him from mm-hmm. ended up being exactly what gave them a, the room to have peace. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? Yes, brother. How many times do we try to avoid something Mm -hmm. when if we would just give into it? I think that's, you know, where I say at the beginning that, you know, it isn't the change that hurts. It's my resistance to that change, right? I'm fighting so hard not to take responsibility for my actions Mm -hmm. that I got everybody tangled up. If I just went on, you did the crime, go do the time. You know, Gerald, I truly believe, man, when I stop resisting the Lord in my life, mm-hmm. that's when my life really began to change, turn around. Because I used to have a way out belief of what God was and who God was and everything else. And I just kind of resisted that, man, you know, for the longest time. But when I didn't have, when, when my mom couldn't do what I needed. My girl couldn't do what I needed. My kids couldn't do what I needed, man. But when I broke down and I asked God, if you real, can you save me? Can you help me with this situation and this drug habit that I had? And when I got sincere in my heart, Gerald, he came in and did for me what my own mother couldn't do for me. For me, God was like evil Santa Claus, Mm. right? Mm. Like, because God was punishing you, you know, yes. you do something, he gonna mess right. you up. Right. But if you ask him right, he might give you a, <laughs> you know, he might right. give you a condo. Right. Right. You know, and it just was such an illogical, doesn't make sense kind of perception of what God was. And today, I have a very real uh, relationship with God mm-hmm. because I don't ask God for nothing. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that my mind is big enough. To perceive what should happen, mm-hmm. 
I, I, I always think when I first got sober, I had this girlfriend that it was just a horrible relationship. She used to cheat on me, and she was stealing money and just all sorts of terrible things mm-hmm. that were going on with this woman. We were fighting all the time. It was a mess. And I got off drugs, and she left. And I had the nerve to get on my knees and pray to God to bring her back. <laughs> right. And, and, right. And it dawned on me. I got up there like, what? I did, <laughs> I did all that to get her out of here, you know? So I don't really right. pray for anything today, right? Yeah. I don't know if God wants you to win the lottery or Absolutely. not. If, if God wants you to win, you win. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't need to. I don't need to tell them. You know? So, and I don't know, man. It, it's so. So as we move into closing this thing up, mm-hmm. what would you want people out there to know? What? What? what what's the fix? Well, what I would like for people. To know, man, is to be able to to just reach out to instead of being judgmental and critical of one, just reach out and try to help the person as best you can. You know, that's what I would like for people to. Uh, and I don't know if that would be the fix, uh-huh. but we're so eager to be judgmental of people, or critical of them, or to criticize them. You know, when you forget where you came from. And that's one of the things, Gerald, I don't ever want to do is forget where I came from, man. You forget where you came from, you're going back. Right, because you know the thing is, I was listening to a podcast that yesterday from a McGill, I think that's his name. Jimmy, Jimmy Jimmy, McGill. Okay, well anyway, this brother shared such stories, man, that reflected my own life. I wish I could have put it as eloquent as he in the way his life got turned around, man. Uh-huh. But the way he's reaching out to help people now today, man, is just unbelievable. You know? And again, I see my life mirror with this man's life, you know, with some of the same things that he had gone through with the homeless, the prison, the gangs, and the whole nine yards. Right. You know, and I thought, like, wow, man, this man, you understand, have accepted Christ in his life. You know? 100%. That, you know, and he didn't even have to say that. No. What you don't know is every Sunday he's giving a sermon. Yeah. J- Jimmy's got a, a he's, he's a, uh, a deacon at a church down yeah. there. Okay. But, you, but you're right. You can hear yeah. it. You can hear it come through Absolutely. what he's saying. Right. Because he, he does never, he will never take, he will never pass an opportunity to praise God and thank him. Right. And and, and, and that's that's truly a blessing. So, mm-hmm. well, thank you for being here, man. Thank Welcome, you. Not only thank you for being here, but thank you for being a part of my company and my life. Yep. I feel the same way, Gerald. Yeah, yeah. You know, I too feel the same way, brother. Absolutely. My guest is Robert Bates. He's a peer mentor with Salt Valley Voices of Recovery. And so, if, if, if I have to continue to bang a pot and ring the bell and say... If you need help, please, please, please reach out. If, if you can't, if you can't get to us, go to your local police department. Go to your hospital. Go to uh, uh, your priest. Go to the guy down the street. Go out in front of your house and yell, "I need help." But whatever you do, 
ask for help. Don't suffer alone because there's too many people out here that want to help you. Uh, you can reach us at 779-707-0151. Um, you can go to our website, svvor.org. You can find us on Facebook. Um, you don't even have to talk to me. If you're like, I don't want to talk to the dumb one. I want to talk to Robert. Then you could call and just ask, hey, can you get me in touch with Robert Bates? Uh, believe me, we are more than happy to work with you. So... Uh, I want to thank Slang Music Group for the music. I want to thank my media partners. Uh, you may have noticed a different sound. We're trying out a new podcast studio in the Riverworks uh, building in Dixon, and I want to thank them for giving us the opportunity to try it. I want to thank my staff and team at Sauk Valley Voices of Recovery. This podcast is produced by me, so it's kind of crummy, and that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. In the In the future... I'll try to do better, but for now, everybody at home, please take care of yourself.